Well, we're starting a new series this evening on the book of Romans, and we're calling this series Romans, Our Journey of Faith, and we'll be journeying through this book together over the next several months, learning about what we believe and also learning what our faith means for our lives. And I, as I was reading up for this sermon series, one of the books that I read talked about Romans as a rocket. I used the analogy of a rocket for the book of Romans, and I think there's something to that. Last summer, my family and I took a road trip to Florida, and on the way, we stopped by the Space and Rocket Center in Alabama. And NASA, the whole U.S. space program, actually got started at that military base in Alabama, and now there's a big museum and space camp there. And they have one of the original Saturn V, that's what the picture up there is, and that's one of the rockets they use to send people to the moon. So you walk into this room, and there is this huge rocket suspended above you. It's broken down into stages, and it goes on and on and on. The whole thing is about 360 feet long. So you walk through it, and you walk, and you walk, and you walk. And on each side on the way, there are all these displays that tell you about the different parts of the rocket, why the nozzles are designed the way they are, how the astronaut's capsule at the top was put together, all kinds of things. And it's all a bit awe-inspiring to walk into this huge room, to look at this rocket, and to think it was capable of taking people to the moon. Now, looking at Romans can be a bit like looking at a theological Saturn V rocket. In terms of length, Romans isn't as long as many other books in the Bible, but we know that there is a lot going on in that book. It's got some of our favorite texts, places like Romans 8 that tells us that nothing can separate us from the love of God, Romans 12 that tells us to be living sacrifices, and Romans also has some passages that are kind of hard to understand. It's got an amazing number of things going on. When you step into Romans, it's like you're sitting down at the top of several hundred feet of theological rocketry that's going to blast off and take you on quite a journey. It's huge, it's exciting, it's powerful, and it's going to take you places. So that's the journey we'll be on for the next few months. There'll be some places where we'll go pretty slowly, we'll look around, and we'll try to understand why things are designed exactly the way they are in the book. And there's other places where we'll just stand back and marvel at the beauty of God's grace and goodness for us, his people. So let's get this journey started with Romans 1, verses 1 to 7. This is God's word for his people tonight. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who as to his human nature was a descendant of David, and who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the son of God by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through him and for his name's sake, we receive grace and apostleship to call people from among all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. And you also are among those who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. When I started college here at, um, in Chicago at Trinity, getting to be longer and longer ago now, we had some people from the church I grew up in in Denver who had just moved to Chicago, and they had an extra car that they wanted to get here. So we worked out a deal that they would pay for the gas, and I could get a free ride for me and all of my stuff to Chicago. So they got a car delivered, I got a free ride. It was a good deal all around. 
And I had a bunch of stuff that I wanted to take. I am a little bit of a pack rat, and I had clothes and books and a desktop computer and this and that and just all kinds of stuff. And I wasn't sure we could fit it all in. But my mom made a pile of stuff I wanted to take in the garage. She backed the car up. She went back and forth. She made measurements. She made plans. And then she said, we can do it. And then we started packing. And we didn't even use boxes. We just packed everything together into one big interlocked bundle in the trunk. And then we closed the trunk. And we did the same thing with the back seat. And then we took off across the country. We made it to Trinity. And they had upperclassmen helping to unpack freshmen's things. So one guy came up with a cart, and he thought he could fit everything in one cart. And we opened the trunk, and his jaw just dropped. And he waited as my mom and I pulled this out, slid that out, unpacked this, pulled this piece out, and it just kept going and going and going. And I don't even remember how many cartloads it was, but it was more than one. And for years afterwards, that guy was just amazed at how much we had fit in that little car. Now, it might not look like it at first glance, but these first seven verses of Romans are just packed full. One of the books I looked at this week actually had six or seven sermons on just these verses. And that's a little bit much, but I did decide this week that we're going to spend a couple sermons unpacking these first few verses of Romans. Now, there's some different ways we could unpack the text, but tonight I want to start by focusing on Paul the author of Romans, and then to the, focusing also on the Christians at Rome, the recipients of the letter. So the book of Romans begins with Paul, and that's where we're going to begin today too, with Paul. Today we put the name of a letter's recipient at the beginning, but at Paul's time, most people would begin their letters with their own name, and then they'd write the name of the person they were writing to. So something like Matthew, greetings to the people of Elmhurst, would be the standard greeting in the ancient world. But Paul's greetings are always, always unusually long for the ancient world, and Romans has one of the longest greetings at all. And this greeting is probably so long because Paul had never actually been to Rome. He'd gone on several missionary journeys around the eastern Mediterranean, but he hadn't yet gotten to Rome at the time he wrote this letter. So in these verses, Paul is introducing himself to people who he'd never met. Now, once was I, when I was in college, I got this weird email from an address I didn't recognize with the subject line, hey, Matthew, it's Jesus. And I thought that was a little weird, so I called my computer science techie roommate over and said, hey, what do you think of this email? It's kind of weird. And he said, hey, why don't you open it and see what it says? Okay. So I sat down, I opened the email, I read the first couple lines, and it said, hey, how's it going for you at school this year, Matthew? I'm doing well, but they're keeping me really busy here at West Point. Oh, I said, it's an email from Jesus, not Jesus, but Jesus, who was a high school buddy of mine, graduated the year after I did, and had started a military career by going to West Point. So he thought he'd introduce himself by saying, hey, Matthew, it's Jesus. You read it as, hey, Matthew, it's Jesus. It looks kind of shady. So until I figured out who it was from, what was going on, what the story was, I was kind of suspicious of what this was all about. So Paul, at the beginning of Romans, is trying to get these Christians in Rome to recognize who he is and what he's all about. They had probably heard about him because he was kind of one of the big shining stars of the early church, but they didn't know him personally. So Paul, in these opening verses, is trying to establish who he was and why he has the right to speak with authority to the believers at Rome. 
Now, a couple weeks down the road, we'll get more into the reasons why Paul wanted to write this letter to the Romans, but tonight we're going to focus on how Paul introduces himself. And first in this text, Paul calls himself a servant of Christ Jesus. Now, the word that Paul uses for servant there could mean either servant or slave. And as you can guess from that, it could be a degrading term. By definition, a slave is someone who's under someone else's thumb. They have no respect. They have basically no rights. They have the most unpleasant jobs. You wouldn't call someone this word in the ancient world, probably, unless you were really sure they were a slave. And even if someone was a slave, they wouldn't necessarily advertise it. But then there are a few occasions where if you called yourself a slave, it actually would increase your status. If you were really close to a powerful person, to someone like the emperor or someone else who was really well-respected and honored, then some of their status would rub off on you. And in that case, if you called yourself the devoted slave of that great person, you were claiming to share some of that person's status and power. If you called yourself the slave of the emperor, the slave of this great person in authority, you could then presume to speak with some of that person's authority. So when Paul calls himself a servant of Christ Jesus, on the one hand, he's emphasizing his subservience to Christ, but on the other hand, he's putting himself in a position to speak with authority to the believers at Rome. And Paul's ability to speak with authority is confirmed when he says that he's called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. So second, Paul is an apostle for the gospel. He begins by calling himself a servant of Christ Jesus, and then he goes on to call himself apostle. And the word apostle literally means a sent person or a messenger. An apostle was someone sent by a powerful person to speak on their behalf. And the word gospel literally means good news. If you brought people a bit of really good news, you were bringing a gospel to them. So if we put those words together, an apostle bringing the gospel is basically a messenger bringing some good news. And at Paul's time, when something really great happened, an emperor or a king or a ruler would send out a messenger to bring good news to the people under his authority. If the ruler won a great battle, he would send out a messenger with the big news. If a ruler had a prince born to him, the next person in line to the throne, he would send out a messenger with the good news. So if you lived in the ancient world, every now and then you would have this messenger come to your area with this proclamation from the one in charge. So Paul's statement that he's an apostle set apart for the gospel of God means that he's a messenger, especially commissioned by God, to bring God's good news. Paul then is speaking as a representative of God himself with an important message for God's people to hear. Now, if just anybody came along and said that, it might sound kind of pretentious, and you might wonder, should we really listen to this guy? But Paul isn't just throwing out empty titles here. He really did have a special place as a messenger of God's good news, as an apostle of the gospel. In our tradition, we distinguish between the ordinary and extraordinary offices of the church. The ordinary offices are things like pastors, elders, and deacons, and these are the roles that keep the church running. We have all of those in our church here today. The pastors are responsible for preaching the word, the elders for overseeing the church, the deacons for taking care of some logistical things and for doing works of mercy. So those are the ordinary offices. But the extraordinary offices that we talk about are things like prophets. Prophets who are called, sometimes they predict the future, 
But the real function of a prophet is to come to God's people when they've fallen away and tell them to come back. The prophet's job is to renew the church. And then you have evangelists who go out and spread the gospel. And then you have apostles. And the title apostle still gets thrown around in some church traditions today. But if you want to get precise about it, really only Jesus' 12 disciples and Paul were truly what you'd call apostles. And these apostles had a special role to play in getting the church going. These were the ones who were called to spread the gospel and to establish the church after Jesus ascended to heaven. These were a pretty limited number of people, and they had a hugely influential role to play. So the way that Paul introduces himself here in Romans gives him some serious credibility in the churches. He's not just throwing out some random titles. He's laying claim to a position with great authority in the church. Paul was a close servant of Christ Jesus and a messenger specially called to bring God's good news to the world. Now, Paul isn't presenting himself this way to build up his own glory. What he's trying to do is establish his credibility because he knows that he's bringing God's own truth to the people. And that calling by God, that special call that God put on Paul's life, is what leads us to continue to listen to him today. Just like God worked through the other authors of Scripture, God worked through Paul and inspired him to write down exactly the message that God knew his people would need to hear. Paul himself is long dead and gone now, but we can still trust that the words he sent to the Romans are alive for us because they are God's word. And we know that they will be useful to teach and to train us in righteousness and truth and also to equip us to do good works for the Lord. This is Paul's letter to the Romans that we'll be walking through the next few months, but it's also God's word to us, his people, living and active now, just as it was for the Romans 2,000 or so years ago. Now, after Paul introduces himself in verse 1, he spends several verses focused on the good news of Jesus, and I'm going to save talking about that till next week. Tonight, we'll just move on to talk, to ver- talk about verses 6 and 7, where Paul addresses the Christians in Rome. Now, we don't know a great deal about the church or churches in Rome at that time. It seems like they were a mix of Jewish and Gentile believers. They probably got started after Pentecost when people, Jewish Christians went back from Jerusalem to Rome. And it seems like over time, more and more Gentiles probably came into the church. So by the time Paul wrote this letter, he's probably writing to a mostly Gentile church with a pretty significant bunch of Jewish Christians mixed in. And throughout the book of Romans, we'll see some places where Paul seems to be talking to everybody and then some places where he's talking a little bit more to the Gentiles and some other places where he's talking a little bit more to the Jews. But in this opening section, Paul lumps both of those groups together. And if we look at our text, Paul wraps up his greeting in verse 7 by saying, "...to all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace and peace to you from God our Father." and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Now that sounds a little formulaic, and we can pretty easily just glide over those couple verses as, yeah, yeah, Paul is just saying hi to the people. But how Paul addresses the Romans here at the beginning of the letter really matters. In a story that I read once, the old king of a country had passed away, and a number of government officials took over ruling. And over time, they settled into different roles, and they called themselves the ministers of this and the ministers of that. But instead of being in charge of things like defense and transportation and education, they set themselves up in charge of things like hygiene 
and honesty. So you had the minister of hygiene and the minister of honesty. And by the way, this is a fictional story if you haven't figured that out yet. And throughout this book, the minister of honesty is beset by all kinds of problems that a really, truly, literally honest person would have. In particular, he's really distressed by how to address letters. He has to correspond with a lot of people, and he wants to address all of them in keeping with his strict principles of ministerial honesty. But he really doesn't like some of them at all. So he can't begin his letter with, Dear Sir, he has to find another way to start the letter. So he tries a number of things, and the one that he settles on for people he doesn't like is to begin the letter with, Detested Sir. Detested Sir, regarding the matter you wrote me about last week. But as the book says, he finds that this brings rather great offense. And so he ends up just not putting any kind of greeting at the beginning of the letter. How you talk to people, how you address them matters. And how Paul describes the Romans matters. He could have chosen any number of phrases, but he chooses to call the believers in Rome those who are loved by God and those who are called to be saints. The defining characteristic that Paul writes to this church of people he hasn't met and who he wants to get things just right for, the defining things that he calls them are people loved by God and called to be saints, called to belong to Jesus Christ as his holy people. Now those two points foreshadow a number of things throughout the book of Romans, but they're also at the foundation of who we are as God's people. We are a people who have been loved by God. And when Paul says that the Romans have been called, he's not using the word just to mean invited, as if God has just said, hey, you know, if you want to come along, you're welcome. What Paul means is that these are people whom God has effectively called and who he has actually worked in to bring them into the fellowship of those who belong to Jesus. The Lord has acted in these people's lives to bring them into the circle of his people. God has already been at work. God has already poured out his grace upon these people in Rome, and he has already brought them into everlasting peace. And we're in the same place as God's people today. Life is very different for us than it was for that mixed group of Jewish and Gentile believers back in the first century when they were just coming to grips with what the gospel meant for them. But for us, we still have that same basic identity. We are a people loved by God and called to be his saints. We are loved by God and we are called to be Jesus' holy people. We'll spend a lot of time in Romans working out what God's love means for us as people and what it looks like for us to live out the calling that we've received. But in the midst of that, we begin with this basic assurance. We are a people who God loves. We are a people who God has called and who he has brought to belong to Jesus and to live as his holy people. So in our journey of faith, in our trek through Romans, the grace and the peace of God the Father and of Jesus Christ His Son are already upon us for now and for always. We are a people loved by God and called by Him with grace and peace. 